We've been taking time this summer to talk a little bit about the story of the book of Esther. Esther's a unique book of the Bible, just about 12 chapters, but it's a, cha- it's a book of the Bible that God's name is not mentioned. Brother uh, Abdel leaned over to me and told me, he said, I know why. And Brother, Brother, Brother Abdel has all kinds of theories in his mind of things and you know, and things like that. But no, he brought up a good point because these people had already been released to go back to Jerusalem. He'd already laid on the heart of a, of a foreign king to let God's people leave and go back and set up shop in Jerusalem. However, Mordecai and Esther are among the remnant who decided it was more comfortable there in Persia, so they stayed home. And uh, the Lord's name, he said, I'm not going to bring my name there. And that may be a very good reason why the name of God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. Nor is prayer directly mentioned. I do believe it's implied. And we'll see that tonight in our, in our, in our message a very unique story, and years have gone by now, and there has been rebuilding back in Jerusalem, but Mordecai and his, uh, his cousin Esther, whose mom and dad uh, most likely died either before she was born or at her birth with her mom, and uh, she was uh, left as an orphan, and he took care of her like, a, like his own daughter, and uh, he took care of her in that foreign land of Persia. While there, uh, the, the book opens up with a... Um, 187-day celebration of King Hazarus' wealth. And he brought in his princes and his leaders from all over the known world, 127 provinces. They came to Shushan, the winter palace of the king. And there he celebrated with them 180 days and then had seven days of a drunken feast. Looks like an alcohol flew like a, flowed like a river. And he was having a party with the men while his wife Ashley was having a party with the ladies. And in their, the seventh day of that, uh, that uh, drunken uh, festival there, he thought it'd be a great idea to liven things up and bring his wife, his beautiful bride, over and, and queen to be showed off before a bunch of drunks. She refused. She said, I'm not coming over there. And uh, it made him mad. And we'll see that alcohol and anger are preeminent things that take place in this foreign environment. And by the way, it's a, it's a problem in our country today. It might be a problem in this room today. But uh, anger and alcohol certainly surfaced to cause many troubles in this country and in this story. Well, she said, I'm not coming. And boy, he got angry. And then the men said, man, you, got, you can't get this back to my wife. She, will, uh, she won't want to listen to me either. And so they made up a, a law and he removed her from being queen. He would go four years without having a queen, but uh, the idea was brought to him that you're the king, you don't have a queen, why don't you solicit the virgins of, the, of your dominion and let them come and find the best of the best, give them time to beautify themselves, give them what they need, give them the nail polish, give them the hair, the hair treatment, give them all the things to make up, whatever they need, uh, so they can be beautiful and prepared for you. And then one by one, you can decide which one you want to make your queen. And that was the plan. It would agree, once again, not necessarily God's plan and not God's plan for that. I think sometimes the modern day dating that we go through, we date for a while. And this is one of the reasons I think it's a little dangerous for young people to date. You start dating, you give your heart to somebody. And then if it doesn't work, you break off, you know, and then you go to somebody else. And I think we got to be very careful in regards to that. But this was not God's plan. This is the plan of a heathen nation 
to do this. And, but it was done, and Mordecai saw an opportunity for his beautiful uh, niece or cousin, if you will, to get involved in this. She was already naturally be- beautiful. I think that's the case. She had a sweet spirit, and I think she was someone who was a contented and at, at peace in her own skin. But he put her in there and just says, listen, go in this, into this, uh, this virgin pool, but uh, don't let them know that you are Jewish. Don't let them know that. A lot of folks had already gone on. They've, mindled, they've got into society, and no doubt they had. He was not in the, uh, the government's gate, but he was definitely influential in that community to some extent. But he went ahead and put his girl in. He, he, he paid attention. He wanted to find out where she was, what was going on. As soon as she got into that, uh, that, uh, that pool, she caught the attention of the man in charge of, of the whole project. And he found, she found favor in his eyes. He gave her seven maidens and gave her all she would need for a beautification. And the beautiful thing about her, she asked nothing more than what was given to her. And she was very content with whatever happened. I think sometimes in beauty pageants, we have heard about this, how the girls who get used to being daunted over and taken care of, they become very, very complaining and whining and wanting more and do this. But she was, had a simple spirit. And uh, nonetheless, she, uh, she was in when it's her turn to come. She went before the king, and the king also found great delight in her. And the Bible says that the king loved her, and he was content to make her a queen, did a national holiday, and gave people time off uh, in, his, in his kingdom, and gave them tax breaks in honor of the new queen, Esther. And she becomes the queen four years later, seven years into Ahasuerus' reign. Five years goes by, and this time, in that five-year period of time, Adam Mordecai goes from the outside of the gate to the inside of the gate. Now he has, he has a job in the kingdom, and he is inside there, and, and uh, now they have promoted a fellow named Haman, who is an Agite. His uh, grandfather was Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and, and it's interesting that Mordecai was a descendant of Saul, or Kish, that particular tribe there, so it's kind of interesting there. But uh, Saul was given the job to wipe out the Amalekites and wipe out Agag and all of that. And yet it surfaced in another generation, causing much problem. And by the way, reminding us that what you and I do today will have long-term effects on our descendants in years to come. Uh, You mess around with alcohol. You think think you're just hurting yourself. You're not just hurting yourself. You're hurting your descendants. There's things, if you don't close the door on, on immorality, on, on stubborn habits and things of that nature, it's going to affect others. You want to play around with sin, sin will start playing with you and with your descendants. It will bring complication. I believe you can't, you can't you'd have to always just almost be totally an ignoramus not to see that. And uh, I saw that in my own father, how that he was so, because his mother was an alcoholic, and he knew that was a, 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 a generational issue in our family. He, boy, he just, he would bang away at that. If he found a, a can of beer, he would bring it and, and pour it out and say, this is nasty. Don't ever touch this. Don't ever put this in your mouth. And even when I was four or five years old, he would teach us to stomp on a can. I hate beer. I hate beer. Any kind of a wine bottle or any kind of an alcohol or he found someone inebriated, he would say, look, son, that's what happened. It makes an idiot out of you. Yeah. Don't do that. My dad knew 
I, I think he knew that if any of us or any of his descendants were to try it, we would have us uh, an aptitude for that and really can, can complicate our lives and our future. And reminding us of that, and of course, Saul didn't follow through, and now years later, hundreds of years, Saul has been dead for many years now, and now we have issues here going on in the future generations. But we do have it, and certainly Haman is made the second in the kingdom. He seems to be a drunken sot, just like uh, King Ahasuerus, seems to be a weak leader, easily swayed, but he is the leader of the known world at the time. And, uh, but Haman now has been given a lot of authority, but he did not get the honor of one man in the kingdom, Mr. Haman. Uh, Haman did not get Mordecai's allegiance. He didn't give him to stand up and salute and bow to him, and it really started eating his lunch. It started really bothering him. We see in our passage of Scripture tonight, he said, I mean, I got everything, but I don't have one thing. I don't have the, the respect of that one man until he's gone. But let him not only to get rid of him, but also to, to, to cause the king to make a decree that would kill everybody that was a Jew in that kingdom. And so he planned ahead of time and caused a, kind of ruled the dice, if you will, and found out in the first month of the year that if he just waited to the 12th month on the 13th day, and he got the king to sign and give him his king's ring and made the law that every Jew in the kingdom would die on the 13th day of the 12th month of that year. And that was the plan. When that plan took place in Mordecai, instantly, Esther was probably in the palace and did not have privy to that, but she found out that Uncle Port or Mordecai was out there and took off his royal clothes and his nice clothes and his suit and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the, uh, the community streets and the gate of the king and began wailing and crying. She sent him clothes out there and said, huh, Uncle Mordecai, you're embarrassing yourself and me. What are you doing? And he refused to take the clothes. And he, she tells him, he's, they're doing this between Haytack. He's the guy that's Chamberlain is coming back and communicating with them. And he says, here's what's going to happen. He even shows him the, the law. He said, we're going to die. And he said, Esther, it's your turn to step up. But she said, I don't know if I can do that. He said, you know, the only way I can go to the king without permission, I could die. If he doesn't hold out the golden scepter, he's not going to accept me. I'm going to die in his presence. They'll kill me right there. If I don't get invited, I just show up. And then, of course, Mordecai sends back the answer. Do you think that you're going to escape with this thing? Think again. So you don't have to do this, because if you don't do it, God will raise up somebody else to do it. But I think you're coming to the kingdom for such a time as this. You've come. This is why you were made, Esther. This is why you're the queen. It's not because of your beauty. It's not because of your testimony. It's not because of your, your sweet spirit. It's, you've come into the kingdom. Now we see why. God has a job for you to do. And then she says, would you please tell everybody to pray? Not pray, but fast. And I think in praying was the probably thing. Three days, I'm going to fast and pray. I'll have all my maidens do it. Tell everybody out there to do it. And then she invites the king and Haman to a, uh, a banquet at her home. He said, I want you to come. And, of course, Haman is more flattered than ever that he gets to do that. And, and of course, uh, they, come into the, they, they come into the banquet and and, uh, but she has to go ask the king first. And of course, he goes, she goes to the king and takes her chances. And she says, if I perish, I perish. She had to get over herself. 
And the truth of the matter is, that's one of the things we learned about this morning in Acts chapter 20. He goes, none of these things move me. Why wouldn't it move him? Because neither account I my life dear to myself. She said, if I perish, I perish. She finally got over herself, and then she stepped into the king after three days of fasting. And she goes to the king, and, and uh, to, her, to her pleasure, to her joy, he holds up the scepter. And she comes and places her hand on the scepter, and he gets, she gets accepted. He said, what do you want? I'll give you anything, up to half the kingdom. He said, I'd like to have you and Haman come visit me. And she had been praying and thinking about this situation, no doubt. And he said, no doubt, I'll tell I'll Haman, we'll be there, we'll be there tonight. And when he came the second time, of course, we'll see in her story here that, um, that uh, he, she asked for a second meeting with them. The drama in the book of Esther, though God's name is not mentioned, no prayer is not mentioned, you can't ignore God in the story. He is all through the story. He loves his people. Several things just to remind us about. Number one, alcohol complicates lots of situations. Stay away from it. Number two, you must, you'll see the surface of anger, and I've mentioned both of these. Listen, some of you folks, and, and I've had to deal with it, and you have to deal with it, and we all have an anger issue. Maybe some of it's not as much, and some of it's not, it's not revealed in yelling and hollering and throwing things, but it's in pouting, or it's in, it's in quietness, or clamming up, or making somebody pay. I don't know how you show your anger, but it is a problem. And the Bible says, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And however it is that that is in you. I was speaking to someone not too long ago, and, and the things they were doing, they were felt so bad after they did it. But really every time it was caused because of, of anger that got out of control. I couldn't even control myself. I can't control myself when I get that mad. A man who is a, works in the prison ministry in our country, and, and I saw him down in Tennessee, and he said, you know, he said, almost without exception, people who come to jail come to jail for two reasons, anger out of control or an addiction. Anger and addiction kind of go together in that situation, and it certainly complicates things, and we see it in this heathen culture that indignation, in other words, we'll see this evening, comes up, and it complicates the decision, the rationale. Nothing quite skews your vision quite like anger that's upset and an interpersonal relationship with someone else. Some folks are in there angry with God. Some folks are angry with brothers and sisters. They're angry with something that happened in their past. I had a precious lady tell me recently, she said, Pastor, I don't know why. I've got such fear. I've got such challenges and depression and loneliness and challenges. And I just said, you know what? She said, why? I didn't know for sure. I just met the lady just moments before. I said, oftentimes... It's uh, because of an unresolved hurt in your past. And she looked at me, and she's like, I don't know how you knew that. But it's, it's something common to man. Sometimes we have unresolved hurts. We don't know what to do with those. When someone hurt us when we were children, someone is hurt, and they just push us on a bruise that continues to go. And many folks who carry it. That's why the Bible says we should never offend a child. It's better to pick a millstone and, and put it around your neck and jump into the ocean and to hurt a little one. Why? Because they have their whole lifetime to live with that hurt and to deal with that and oftentimes complicates many lives of people. And we need to ask the Lord to help us. Don't ever be an offensive to a child. Don't be hurtful to them. And if you do have offenses of your past, it's important that you face them. And, and God can give you grace. It's going to come in the, in the form of forgiveness and learning how to accept things you cannot change, 
Pray for the people that offended you and turn it over to the Lord. I do believe it's important to do that. And turn over the control of that. And if you're trying to get vengeance, you're trying to make someone pay, you're trying to make sure that justice is served for someone that's hurt you, you're off your rug. Vengeance is mine. I will pay, saith the Lord. So much of it is learned to trust the Lord. Nonetheless, anger certainly surfaces in this story. Thank God for people who are willing to help children who do not have a father. And we see that in Mordecai. And uh, see other things that are very helpful in this passage of Scripture. Let's look, if we can, please, tonight. And, uh, and then the reminder of that, that. I love that song, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Listen, if God wants to use you, let Him. And don't let fear. What kept uh, Esther from wanting to step up? He said, look, you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And I love the, the use of the word time in this passage. There are just, I don't understand this, and I don't pretend to be, a, to be philosophical in this, but I do believe there are strategic times in your life that God wants you to intervene and step up and to do something very significant with Him. This is God's idea. Oftentimes when working with people, I will tell them, especially young people, uh, in, uh, in, in this is O in sign language, and this is P in sign language. And I'll say oftentimes, you must be, you're going to have opportunities that are awaiting in your future. And this is why preparation is so important. You must continue to prepare, continue to be faithful. Don't quit in your preparation process because, as you can see, opportunities are coming your way. Some of you say, they're not coming my way. I've, I've, I've passed it. You have not. Just keep preparing. What happens sometimes, people stop preparing, they quit on the Lord, they fail to continue in their preparation, and they quit and they stall while opportunity is still coming, and opportunity oftentimes passes them up because they do not, they stall. But what you want to do is you keep preparing while God brings opportunities into the same place. An opportunity spiritually to witness to someone, to give aggressively, to love, to, to help people, to step in when someone else steps out, to receive somebody who is struggling. You know, some, most of us have people in our life that you love, but they're away from God presently, and it's painful. It may not be painful to you, but I think it is. It's sure painful to me. When I find people that I just, I can't, I can't stop the slide. They've grabbed hold of a greasy pole, and they're, they, they don't know how to stop it. And I wish I could get them to stop. But one of those things I, I encourage you to do is to keep on loving. Keep on investing because opportunities will come. People in sin will crash and burn. They will crash and burn. And when they do, they need somebody there to help them. And there's where you want to say, Lord, please help me to know the timing. And the Spirit of God, no one knows the mind of God like the Holy Spirit of God. He lives inside of us. He can help us. I remember years ago I was driving and the Lord pressed my heart a particular man. I've shared this with you maybe before. But I remember someone who was not saved. And uh, the Lord pressed in my, his, my heart. I, was, I know right where I was. I was driving on 27th Street in, in Long Beach, California, between, uh, between Magnolia and Cedar and Chestnut. And I was just driving. And the Spirit of God says, just said, pray for him. And I prayed for him. And I said, Lord, please help him. I want him to come to Christ. I've witnessed to him before. He's not been responsive. And I prayed. I turned it over to the Lord. And then it seemed like the Lord just said, that's not enough. Call him. I called him on my phone, and sure enough, he answered the phone. He said, hello, pastor. I said, yeah. He said, how you doing? He said, how did you know? I said, how did I know what? He said, we're in the hospital. My daughter's hurting. Something's wrong with her. She's in the ER right now. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. He goes, how do you know? Did someone, who called you? 
I said, no one called me, but God loves you, and he's notified that. I said, where are you at? He said, I'm at Long Beach Memorial Hospital. That was four blocks away from where I was. In a few moments, it was just in a matter of a few minutes, I walked into the ER room, and that room, I think it was room maybe 14, 15, I walked in there, and you could have hit him with a two-by-four, and he wouldn't have wouldn't been as stunned. He goes, oh, how did you get here so fast? You know, it was all timing. And it wasn't my timing, but it was the Spirit of God trying to illuminate. I wonder how many times I've missed information from the Holy Spirit of God. I could have been at the right place at the right time, but I just wasn't listening. I didn't think he would be, he'd be interested, or I didn't, didn't respond right. I think God's talking. Sometimes we're not listening. And the Spirit of God is trying to impress our hearts to do things. And Mordecai says, hey, you come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And then we see that she encourages him and the kingdom, uh, the involved there, to fast. And I want to just say this real quickly. Fasting brings, and fasting and prayer and seasons of it, bring clarity and wisdom and discernment to your decision. Now, I, I know when I talk about fasting, it's the last thing I want to talk about. Number one, because I don't do enough of it, number one. And when I, I like to eat, I like to sleep, I like my stuff. I've taken some time over the last few weeks and taken, taken periods of fasting for, for youth conference and for other things that are burdens on our hearts that we're asking the Lord to help us with. But I do believe it's not just something we can learn, we can learn from Esther, but something we can learn in our own lives. I want to encourage you just for a moment. Let's look over to Isaiah chapter 40, 58, if you would please. There are wrong reasons to fast, but there are good reasons to fast. I think Isaiah 58 speaks about it. I just, I'm just going to, uh, if, I, if I can, just, I won't, will not go through the chapter. It's not the purpose of the service tonight. But I want you to see that God was not happy with the, effect, the, the fasting of his people. Because fasting is not predominantly trying to get the attention of God. It's not trying to focus, uh, it's, it's fasting without focusing on God. It's, it's fasting without humility or just a show of piety. He's not impressed with that. The, the, the Pharisees in his time would fast oft. And it, it, they didn't understand the reason. But I think if you look at Isaiah 58, and I'm just going to ask you to read it. But I want to give you some high points. I think they were helpful to me. And I wrote them in my Bible. Number one, fasting, a reason for it, you find in verse number six, is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness? And I say this only as parenthetically. Some of you might be in this situation. And to, and to undo heavy burdens, and so to oppress, to let the press go free, that ye break every yoke. I think we see here several reasons for a fast. Number one, that you could loose the bands of wickedness. Sometimes you have things in your life and, and uh, stubborn uh, strongholds that you need to break. And one of those ways to get those broken is through fasting. It's not an easy way in prayer, but through fasting. Starving the flesh, if you will, afflicting the soul. And the soul is very strong in us. How we think, how we feel, and what we want. He said, for, for breaking bounds of, binds of wickedness, it's a good way and a good reason to fast. Look, if you would please also, to relieve heavy burdens. You see, to undo the heavy burdens. Sometimes you'll go through seasons of heaviness. You have a burden that when you close your eyes, that's what you think about. You turn around, you do the dishes, girls, and that's what you think about. You go pull off to get gasoline, you can't help it. You keep thinking about this burden. Sometimes a fast is good to break a, str a stronghold. 
Number two, to relieve a heavy burden. Something is pressing upon you. Fasting and prayer seems to be a reason for that and something that God likes. I think also, number three, it increases our sensitivity to the needs of others. Um, We're very self-centered people, are we not? We really think about our stuff, our money, our house, our kids, our our life, our our bills, our things. And sometimes fasting gets our, our mind off of ourselves and onto the needs of others. It increases our sensitivity to the needs of others. Look at the fourth thing I think there in number one. Also, I think it challenges us to invest ourselves in our family. If you are a family man or a family woman, you're going to find there will be seasons when your kids will struggle, when your marriage might be challenged, when your husband's being attacked, your wife's being attacked. And oftentimes we don't want to do the hard thing there. We want to go find a psych that can help us. We want to go find a medicine that we can take. And I'm not saying none of that stuff is applicable, but I tell you, I think sometimes a fasting and prayer, a season of fasting and prayer can help us draw closer to those who are hurting within our own families. And when we do this, there's several things. Sometimes there's a health issue that can be helped and encouraged by it. I think we can see positive physical well-being. I think we get insights and understanding through fasting and prayer that can be helpful. Others will sense God's glory upon you. I think sometimes whenever we get close to the Lord, and by the way, we afflict our soul, our own will, and start yielding to the will of God, it'll be noticeable in the way we conduct ourselves, in our, in our countenance, in our response to things. People might even say, what's, what's going on? What's different about you? Because these are things that are relieved. And it's, it's amazing. I was talking to a man recently who was telling me about, uh, about a study he did on, 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 on health. And he said, you know, one thing I found out about health and eating this and not eating this, the Bible majors on two concepts that improve your health and help your health. And that is obedience to God and a control of your emotions. I think we wonder sometimes why we're sick. And I don't think it's always the case, but I think sometimes we don't know how to control our emotions and let the Spirit of God help us. In that, we let anger begin to surface. We let depression begin to come. And obviously, there's, this is not a panacea for all problems. But sometimes, I think fasting can be something that we need to do. It's not something we enjoy doing. Most of us, we don't like it. Now, I'm in that group. But I do think there are seasons of time when we can find great help to break bonds, to increase our sensitivity to others, to relieve heavy burdens, and to also uh, fast and pray for family members going through difficult times and increase our sensitivity to meeting their needs and many other blessings. I hope you'll see that maybe in Isaiah chapter 58. She calls for a fast. They fast and then she has an idea. I do believe that the idea is most likely given to her by the Lord. I don't think it's her idea completely. We'll see that the timing you think, okay, now ask him to come and do this, and then this is going to happen. I, I would think, just, just get one meal, tell him what you want. You already got his permission, but she schedules two different banquets. One one day, and says, would you be willing to come back next, the next day, and then I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'll tell you what my petition is. I know when I read the story, I kind of get frustrated. I think I would say, well, man, just tell your business up front. I don't need to play games with me. Just tell me what you want. But, uh, but, but she does too. And something very significant happens between the first banquet and the second banquet that is extremely instrumental to the story. 
And I think sometimes in timing of situations, we have to understand that God is working when you don't see him working. There are things that you're like, this is stupid, man. This ought to be done. I could have taken care of this. And yet God is doing some things in moments where you're not exactly understanding all that's going on. Learning to trust God's pace and his place in your life and what he's doing behind the scenes is extremely important. And we see it here in the story. Let's continue our story if we can, please. Begin in verse number 6. So he asked, uh, she asked a king, king accepts her. And uh, by the way, what was she afraid, what she was afraid about? She was afraid she would go into the kingdom, she'd go into the palace, and he would reject her, and she would die instantly. Did that happen, yes or no? No. And it tells me another thing, many things that we worry about and fret over never come to happen. So many things that we just, we fear, we, we toss and turn, we can't sleep at night, we're all worried. What's going to happen? It doesn't come to, come to fruition. And it's a wonderful thing that Philippians chapter 4 reminds us of. Be careful for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Learning to take your care and make it prayer. Worrying, the Bible says it in Jesus, this great message, take no thought. Don't, don't waste time. Worrying gives you something to do, but accomplishes nothing. It, 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 it stresses you. It causes you difficulties and things you cannot control. And take your care and make it prayer. She was worried, and then as soon as she came into the, into the palace, she not only could touch the scepter, she had been granted up to half the kingdom if she wanted it. She said, well, I tell you, what, would, you, would, you, would you get Haman and come join me for a banquet? They came. So, okay, now what do you want? He said, I tell you what, uh, I want you to come back tomorrow, and tomorrow I will tell you. Let's look at verse number six. Can we please? And the Bible says, and the king said to Esther at the, at the banquet of wine, by the way, I do not believe this is in a foreign country, in a very heathen culture. And once again, we see the alcohol is going to be an issue. But what is the petition? And it shall be granted unto thee and to thy request, even to half of the kingdom, which is it to be performed. And then Esther, then Esther, Esther and said, my petition is my request. I have found favor in the sight of the king. If thou will please the king to grant to my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to a banquet that I shall prepare for them. And I will do tomorrow as the king has said. Give me one more day. And notice here, verse number 9, the Holy Spirit put some things in the Scripture, I think, that are very significant here. Here's my last point of the evening. Then went Haman forth that day. How did he go, according to the Scriptures here? Joyfully. He was, he was excited. I mean, he was skipping. He was happy. Called him Skippy. And with a glad heart. He had joy, and he was a glad heart. And when Haman saw Mordecai, Mordecai, in the king's gate, that he stood not up, nor moved for him, he was full of what? Indignation, anger, wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman was able to refrain himself. And when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and for Zeresh, his wife. Here he is. He comes out of the palace with the queen, and he's happy. He's full of joy. And he looks over there, and everybody's bowing, bowing. Then he sees Mordecai is not bowing. And it just fires him up. 
And he goes home and he's mad and he doesn't, he doesn't say anything to him at this time. And he goes home and he, he tells his wife's arrest and his friends, come over, man, I've got to talk to you about something. And he brings his friends into, into, into his cabinet of advisors and his wife too. And here's what he tells them. He said, you know what? I'm a blessed man. Let's see what he says to them, would you please? Verse number 11, and Haman told of them the glory of his. He spoke about how blessed he was economically. He was very blessed. And then the multitude of his, man, in his family. He had lots of kids and had a great family, large family, lots of descendants. So he was rich economically, socially. He had some things going there with his family. And all the things wherein the king had promoted him. And now he had advanced him above the princes and the servants of the king. He had not only been possessed with, blessed with possessions and with paternal blessings of a home, but he'd been blessed with a position. I mean, he, he said, man, I got, I got, I'm number two in the stinking kingdom. Here he is, his friends and his wife is there. He said, you know, I got, I got it going on. I got so much money, I'll never spend my money. Look around, I see all the kids around here. I love my kids and my grandkids, and I got lots of them. God, as far as a dad, I'm, I go, well, I, everything's great. And then I got a position, second only to the king, to all the 127 provinces. He began to rehearse the blessings he had received. Let's look at the next verse, if you would please. Verse number 12. And Haman said, moreover, yea, Esther, the queen, did let no man come into the king into the banquet that she had prepared but myself. I've been privileged not only with position, with paternal opportunities and possessions, but, man, look, I have been privileged. I've been with the queen and the king, just me, her, and him. Nobody there but her and me and the king. Verse number 13, read out loud with me. Yet all this avail me so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. He said, I got all this good stuff, but it doesn't even matter. As long as I got one thing that I want that's not, I'm not getting. One man in the kingdom tore him up, stirred him up. He had all this stuff going on. Do you know, I, I think there's a touch of Haman in me. There might be a touch of Haman in you. Most of us, we have a good God who has been very good to us. If you look over the years of your life, you think, good night. I don't know. I've been blessed. Look across the room and you see a husband or a wife. You see a mom or dad. You see brothers and sisters. You see a comfortable home. You look at the slums of Cambodia and you think, man, God's given me. I make 192 and in a, a day and a half work, and they get that in one month. I am so blessed. We got all these good things. If we're hungry tonight, most nobody here is starving. We can see by our physique we got issues. We're not starving. If we want something to drink, we can go down and get it. We can get pure water. Not to wonder about if our water's got, got amoebas in it or problems there. We got, we got it all going on. There's some people who leave. They, they'll receive all the blessings of God. They find something doesn't go their way, and they want to blame God for it. They find all they had. Boy, you know, Eve went through this situation. She had a whole garden full of any kind of a fruit and vegetable you could ever want. She had one tree she couldn't have, and that's where the devil led her, to the one thing she couldn't have. 
And I think Haman is like that. Haman had everything, he, and he rehearsed to his friends and to his wife, said, look, I got it all. He said, but I got one thing I don't have. I don't have the respect of one man in the kingdom. And that's Mordecai, and he's, he works with me. And he let that eat his lunch. He let that bother him so badly. I want to say to you tonight, I don't know your story. I don't know what's going on with your mind behind your brown or blue eyes. But I want to make sure that you know how good God's been to you. And don't hold him hostage over something you didn't, didn't happen on your term. Something difficult that came to your life. Something you focus on the negative things. That's why I was reading this week in Philippians chapter 4. And whatsoever things are pure and lovely and of good report. Think on those things. We oftentimes, you do pop up almost any kind of news feed. It's negative, 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 negative. Oh, America's terrible. It's a piece of junk. The truth of the matter is, if you don't like it that much, go live in Saudi Arabia for a while, would you? Take a trip to one way, a way and way ticket to Somalia and find out how you like it. Get, go, go somewhere else. The truth of the matter is, there's a lot of good things we enjoy. And none of the things happening in our society today keep me from telling someone else about Jesus. Living out my Christian faith. I can still love my wife. I can still raise my kids. I can still be a blessing to those around me. I can still visit my neighbors. I can still pray for the lost. I can still pass out gospel tracts. I spend much more time complaining about few things that aren't going right well instead of opportunities that we have. And Haman's in a lot of trouble here. But by the way, he gets his friends together on that night after really an unbelievable high, and he walks out of the palace and he sees one negative thing, stirred him up so bad, he got his friends and his wife, let me tell you what's going on. But I don't care about any of these good things as long as I don't have one thing. And I don't know who, if you've got that one thing, if you do, why don't you tell God about it and deal with it. The rest of us can just say, Lord, get, keep me positive. <laughs> keep me thinking about the blessings of God. Count your blessings, name them one by one. And it'll surprise you what God has done. And don't focus, well, I, you know, I thought by now I'd be married. Okay. I, I know that that may be All right, I thought by now we'd have kids. I, I'm sure that's difficult. Well, I didn't expect my life to be like this. Look back over what God has done for you. And don't live in a few things that didn't go, go your way. Haman let it, let it just tear him up. And matter of fact, it was his friends and his wife who said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to build a gallows. 50 feet high. Make it high and plan to go back. And the king's going to give you everything asked for, for Mordecai. And then come back tomorrow and hang him on that gallows. Up in front of everybody, 50 feet high, so everybody can see. That guy who disrespected you, he got what was coming to you. And that night, he built a gallows. 50 feet high, prepared for his enemy. You know the story. He'd actually hang on it himself. He built, it, he built it intended to, 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 to attack the thing he didn't have, and he actually hung on his very same gallows. I want to encourage you, wherever you may be at, this is not a rip-your-face-off thing, but I do think sometimes we fail to see the blessings of, we fail to see the blessings of God at the expense of a couple few things that didn't go exactly our way. Sometimes we do this in marriage. You know, the truth of the matter is you're married to a wonderful person. That they got a few little flaws. That quite frankly, other people, they, she, they didn't come home and beat you. He doesn't come home and, and he's not drunk. 
Probably works hard, takes care of things, but he doesn't do a few things you thought he would do. She doesn't do everything. She's, she's great. She takes care of you, takes care of the kids. A few things she doesn't do, and you focus on those things, and you bang away at it, bang away at it, and you allow that to steal your joy of the blessings. You've got so many things that are God's blessings around us, and we focus on one thing. We say, ah, that's nothing if I don't have the one thing I want. I want to encourage you. If that's you, knock it off. If you see it in me, tell me. I don't want it to be in me. I want to be a praise-filled Christian that doesn't find nitpicking dumb things. This church, I love this church, but at best, it's, it's a sinful church. And the more people, the more problems, more challenges. But sometimes people get real negative. Yeah, like this, like that is, you know, that is right there. I'm just telling you, wherever you go, you got to take you, Spanky. You got to take you. And it's not going to be perfect. You go anywhere else, it's not going to be, not going to be, not going to be all that. You still got to take your sour spirits. You got to take those things. And if there's some things that, if you're doing good, then just thank God that you're doing good and pray for the rest of us. But if you're having a little bit of struggle in this area and you find yourself focused on a negative thing you don't have, I think we can learn a lesson from Haman. It doesn't turn out too good for Haman. And it won't turn out good for you or for me if we don't find ourselves praising God for his blessings. Let's pray together, can we?